there's something about getting a new item, right? That's just special. Uh, for instance, I just ordered, I just pre-ordered a new phone. I pre-ordered the Pixel Seven uh, because I don't like iPhones, uh, and so sticking with the sticking with the Google family and the Android family. But in any case, there's something about, for instance, if you guys order, get, you guys get a new phone, right? And there's something different about it, right? Like if you're if you need a new phone, for instance, say if your phone's like you know running slow or it's broken, like if you factory reset your phone and just clean it out, and start over. There's something different about that versus getting a brand new phone, right? It just doesn't really act the same way even though you reset it, even though you clear out the drive and you're just, you're starting fresh. There's something about that phone that's not the same as if you got a new one. It's just, it's just been used before. It's been worn out. But there's something about something that's new, a new phone that when you receive it, you just keep looking at it, right? Like you're just amazed, just kind of how pristine it looks. It's you're you're turning it on the side, you're examining it. You can't help but turn it on and kind of scroll through it. You're amazed at the performance, how smooth it runs. There's something about new things that captures our attention, that captures our hearts, and that's what we're going to be seeing here. You see, God has been working in redeeming this world. And that's what we've been looking at in Revelation. Revelation is the end of God's plan of redemption for humanity, for this creation and everything. And His work, His work in redeeming this world from sin isn't simply just to reset this world. He's not just going to clean out this world and just start all over. No, God's plan here is to destroy this current creation and build it new. Build it new. Uh, to begin with, let's actually turn to Second Peter. Second Peter chapter three. Take your Bibles, turn me there. Second Peter chapter three, looking at verse ten. This talks about the day of the Lord, which we read about in Revelation. The day of the Lord is when Jesus Christ comes back and He judges the world. This is in the future. It says this in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10. It says, But the day the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies, meaning the earth, the stars, the sun, will burn up and dissolve in the earth, and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? Verse 12, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. So what we see here thus far is that this current world, the heavens and the earth, will all be burned and melt away or be gone. Verse 13, this is what God is doing. But, according to His promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Our eternal hope does not lie in this current world. It lies in eternity, in this future heaven and earth that will be created anew. When we talk about us you know, going to heaven, we're saved and we're saved, we're to go to heaven. This 
heaven is not just this spiritual realm. Yes, there's that kind of sense of when we die, our souls will go there. But true heaven, when we talk about eternity, living forever with God, we're talking about this new creation. And that's amazing. Turn with me now to Revelation chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21, we'll get to our main passage we're going to be looking at now. Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 8. Here we see how new creation looks like and the whole purpose of it all. This here, in these eight verses, is actually an overview of God's plan and purpose. And then next week when we come back, we'll finish chapter 21. This will give us the details of the new creation. But verses 1 through 8, which we'll study tonight... It's an overview, and this is what it says. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be His people. And God Himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And He who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also He said, Write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage. And I will be his God. He will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexual immoral, the sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. This here is speaking of the new heavens and the new earth. This is God, what He's doing, He's creating for us a world of, in which we can live there with Him forever. It's a place where we can enjoy God forever. And this is a place where everything that our hearts long for, everything that we desire, everything that we've been seeking for, we're working for, everything that we want to satisfy our souls, all of it is found here in this new creation, this unfading, permanent joy. And God gives that to us freely, without any cost. I want to know four things that God does here, four acts that God does first one we see is that God recreates all things. He rec- recreates all things. In verse 5, he says, Behold, I am making all things new. New. <laughs> what does that mean, new? Well, the, the, the Greek word new here is, is kainos. And it's actually, there's two Greek words that means new. One of them is kainos, the other one is nos. And, and nos, what that means, it means something that's new in time or origin. So it's, just, it's, like you, it's like you have something that's been refreshed and you're just and you're starting over. But kainos, which is the word used here, is different. It's something that's new in nature. 
or in quality. It's distinct from what it was before. It's distinct. It's new. It's it's something that you have never seen before. The, the, the difference between these two words, between how we understand new here, is as if you're playing, for instance, a video game. And if you're to start a new game, you're just starting a new game. You're going through it again. But the way new here is being used is as if you're starting a whole new different game. You're playing something else. What we see here is that God is creating all things new, kainos. He is starting with something that's completely different, distinct from this first creation. And so when we look at verse 1, and he says that, when John here says that he saw a new heaven and new earth, this, that means that the planet we live on right now, all this will pass away, and then in this place will come a new heaven and new earth, something that's completely different. We're not just seeing this current planet being refreshed. We're seeing entirely new, different creation. And then in verse 2, John says he sees a holy city, New Jerusalem. Again, same word new. This is, city is not like the old Jerusalem. This is an entirely new city coming down. This city here is the capital of the new earth, new heaven. And New Jerusalem here is described as a bride, a bride as adorned for her husband. And we've seen this imagery before, right? Can anyone tell me what they've seen this imagery for us? This bride in Revelation? Who is it used for? Does anyone remember? The church. The church. Cool. Thanks, Brandon. And you weren't even here for that sermon. <laughs> um, um, yeah, the church. Revelation chapter 19, verse 7, talks about the church. It says, Let us rejoice and exult and give him God glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready, speaking of the church. And now we see here the same metaphor being used for New Jerusalem. And what it's telling us here is that the character of the city, of how it's holy, it's not necessarily because it's buildings and all that. It is indeed holy in a sense that it is different. It's set apart from this world. But what makes the city truly holy is the people who dwell in it. It's the saints. It's the church. It's us being able to live in there. It's and, and the character of the city is that, that's how we describe cities in general, right? When we talk about, for instance, like L.A. or I mean, I don't, I don't know, like Compton is like a dangerous place, right? It's not because it's not because like Compton itself is like a place where you just suddenly walk in and like lightning will strike down on you, but it's dangerous because of 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 its history of what we know its reputation to be. Right? Not saying that content is always dangerous every time you go, but just, you know, reputation-wise. In the same manner, the city's holy because of the people who are in there and the reputation that we bring. So we see here that this city is being prepared. Right? It says here that God has prepared this city, prepared it as a bride adorned for her husband. And this should make us, should make us think about what does it mean to be prepared? What does it mean for us to dwell in the city? Like, why must... I guess the bigger question is, why must the new heavens and new earth exist? Right? Why must the new heavens and new earth exist? Well, all right. well, the first thing we see here is we have to understand is that 
we ourselves, when we become saved, God calls us a new creation. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, it says this, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. And this is what it means to put on a new self. We are new. We are made anew. We are, we are, yeah, we may look the same. We may have, you know, carry similar traits, but we are new. We're distinct. God has buried the old self in Christ and raises again in, in our new creation in Christ, a new life in Christ. There's something that should be distinct and different about our current lives as believers compared to what it was before we come to know Christ. We are a new creation. But this new creation, right now, we don't have, we're not fully renewed. That's why there's this whole process of sanctification. But there's another thing about us not being fully renewed that has to deal with our physical bodies. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, it says this, Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is what he says, the Lord Jesus Christ will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body. Meaning one day this body will die. We will indeed, all of us will one day face death. But we will be raised again. Right? We, talk, we saw the resurrection back in chapter 20. We will be raised again in a new body. A glorified body. A body that's imperishable. A body that will never meet death again so we were raised up in this new body but as as Christians in the new body as believers in the new body we need to live in a place in a dwelling place that is fit for our bodies and that's why Jesus says in John chapter 14 verse 3 he says he's going to go away why is he going to go away? he says he's going to go away he's going to prepare a place for us and when he does that, then he'll come again and he'll take us to himself so that he may be with us forever. What he's doing, he's preparing this new Jerusalem, the new heavens and new earth for us to live in. The new heavens and new earth is a place that's fit for our new nature. If, to, to emphasize this some more, turn with me to first, or Second Corinthians. Second Corinthians chapter 5. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1 through 5, Paul speaks of this very thing about how we, we're not made for this world. And we're especially if we're resurrected in our glorified body. We're not meant for this world. We're meant for something more, something better. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1 says, For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home, so this current tent, and the word tent is being used because it's supposed to represent how temporarily how temporary this place is, our earthly home, is destroyed. We have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we will be unclothed, but that we will be further clothed, so that what is mortal shall be swallowed up by life. Verse 5. Again, the word prepare shows up. He who hath prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. You see, we're being renewed every day, but we know we are not meant for this world. 
we're meant for the world that comes after. The new heavens and new earth. And that's what we long for. And that's why we don't feel comfortable here. That's why we shouldn't feel comfortable here as Christians. Because this world is not our home. We are made for, we are risen up in Christ for the new heavens and new earth. And so God here recreates all things, including our own bodies. But here we're specifically talking about the place where our bodies will dwell, the new heavens and new earth, new Jerusalem. And then it says that, and then we see here that God removes the curse of sin. This is kind of defining how different this place is. How it's indeed new and not like the old creation. God here creates something that's new. That And what he does is he removes the curse of sin. And the first thing we see here in verse, back in Revelation chapter 21. We see in verse 1, at the end of it. It says here that the sea is no more. The sea is no more. Now, I mean, I don't know how many guys like the ocean. I mean, guess, you know, we like to go out. Uh, I know some of you guys might be, I remember we were sharing like some things you would never do. I think last week or last time we met up together, and some people say, I'll never swim in the middle of the ocean. So it's something I hope no one really does. In any case, like, the, the, I don't know. Yeah, so anyways, the sea here though, it says in the new heaven, new earth, the sea, waters, ocean, is gone. It's just, just vanished, disappeared. And it's interesting here. Uh, one commentator says this about this. He says, and he makes it very natural in terms of right now on this earth, in order for life to be sustained, there's certain waters necessary, right? And so the sea is part of this whole hydraulic system of nature, and it helps brings us, you know, fresh water up in the mountains and gives us all that and sustains life. And so in the old earth, the water was necessary to sustain life, but in the new heavens, new earth. Life can be sustained by God differently. It's different. It's unique. So that, that's one way that someone can interpret this, which, I don't know, could be true. But there's something in Scripture I like as a sea, that the sea in, in, throughout Scripture, metaphorically, long symbolized chaos and turmoil. This, the sea, con when it's used in Scripture, it, const it constantly represents a barrier. Or hardship for God's people. And we just think for a moment about when the sea shows up. I and mean, what's one area that we think about when the sea, when the sea shows up? Right. Let's ask in the crowd. Hmm? What, are you, what are you saying over there? Oh, I was thinking of uh, Jonah. Jonah? Okay, yeah. Jonah, the sea was going, was kind of back and forth, and they were, they were afraid for their lives, right? There is something there that's something that represents chaos and turmoil, right? There's any, anyone else? Moses splits the sea. Moses splits the sea. So do we have a sea blocking a barrier, blocking Israel's way of escape from Egypt? And how does God save his people every time? He provides some kind of salvation for his people by controlling the sea. For Jonah, it was in a form of fish. But for the Israelites, it was God splitting the sea apart so that they can walk on dry land. You see, there is something about the sea that represents this uncontrollable force of nature that's endangering human lives. But God's in control of it all. 
Think about Jesus in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. It was windy. The storm was going. The disciples were afraid. What did Jesus do? He calmed the seas. God brings people through the seas into salvation. Even in Revelation, we see that the sea represents evil. Because the beast, the dragon, comes from the sea. Right? The dead that we saw last week were contained in the sea. But here in the new heavens and new earth, the sea is gone. The sea is gone. There's something about some something about the sea being gone that shows God's control, but it also shows God's peace. And earlier in Revelation chapter 4, verse 6, it talks about the throne of God. And it says, chapter 4, verse 6, it says, Before the throne... There was as if it were a sea of glass, like crystal. So saying that before God, there's this clear, transparent walkway that looks like a sea of glass. But you see how the sea is different from the seas that are in our earth, that we see around the world now? It's smooth. It's calm. It's peaceful. It's still. Why? Is, so we see here that new heavens, new earth, sea is no more. And then, in verse, and then in verse 4, it tells us that more so, more importantly, death is no more. Death is no more. And death is the curse of sin. right? Romans 5 verse 12, just as sin came into the world through one man, death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. James 1.15 says, sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Death is the curse of sin. And what death does is it evokes sadness, pain, and brokenness. Imagine with me what it would be like to live in a world without death. Like imagine you just, you know that you can, you just, death doesn't exist. Just imagine living that way. your, Your perspective on life changes, doesn't it? It changes. You, you would, You'll have more patience, right? You won't feel like you have to get everything right away because you have eternity to live on. You're more willing to endure through pain. Perhaps if you're going through some hard times or you're walking with someone who's going through hard times, you're willing to cry with them because you know that pain's temporary or eternity awaits. There's something about death that, that it acts as a curse because what it does is it makes us realize that everything that we do here is temporary. But what sin does to us in this, and how sin makes, how it changes our perspective of death, is that it makes us think we need to live our best lives now. That we have to achieve our goals now. That we have to build our best memories now. That we have to gain as much as we can now. You see, death. Death makes us realize that what we go through throughout life is that one day we will grow old and we will pass away. And that's a scary thought. It's a thought that drives us, even if you're not constantly thinking about it. Right? Think about how you are now in college. Right? If you're going through college and you're, if you don't get that job after college, what then? What, what happens? Does, do you feel like you missed your chance because you're no longer 21? Do you feel like if you end up 
failing at your college that you afraid of just becoming that old person who's sitting in class with everyone else you see there, there's something about something about death when we go through our youth we realize all this we only have a certain amount of time and that puts something upon our hearts right you see there are many reasons people can fear death we can fear we can fear death because of the pain we can fear death because death means that we no longer exist so we're going to be missing out on life we can fear death because we might be afraid of where now we'll be remembered how people think about us their fear of death has a deep hold upon our hearts death places a temporary marker on everything in this world on everything our youth our money our relationships our status one day all of this will expire and what does that mean for you because we we toil to enjoy these things don't we i mean I mean, we're all in the same boat together. We're, we're working for these things. We're, there's a reason why we live day by day working for our jobs, working to pass our classes, working to support ourselves. But what is it about these things that death does that we need to remember? Because what death, what, what death reminds us of is that when we try to make these earthly goals our heart idols, what all that does is that it builds anxiety. It builds anxiety and things and when we don't get things that we want. It builds pain when we lose the things we have. It builds brokenness when we realize what we do have provides no true everlasting satisfaction. If death is the thing that makes all these things we enjoy so broken, so painful, because we're afraid of losing it, we're afraid of it, just and it doesn't satisfy it just it kind of just fades away from our hearts and leaves us wanting more just imagine what it's like to be in a new heavens a new earth where it says here that death shall be no more and along with death it says there will be no more mourning no more crying no more pain for these former things have passed away i mean isn't that what we want isn't that what your heart longs for? I mean, deep down, we truly ask what we want with our lives. Don't you just want something that lasts forever, without pain, without any brokenness? It's why we look for anything, why we pursue these, why we have certain desires in this world. It's why we seek after justice. It's why we desire fairness. It's why we pursue technological advancements. It's why we invest in relationships. You see, we long for things to last, for all these things. We do all these things. But what death does is that it makes these things all temporary in this earth. But God's showing us that our heart's desires, how our hearts can be fulfilled, isn't necessarily in these things here in this realm, but it will be in the next world, the new heaven, the new earth. The promises that God has given to us, because He has indeed promised us many things, many riches deep relationships the fulfillment of these promises found finds us satisfaction in the new heavens new earth where death is no more and that's what we should be keep that's where we should be keeping our eyes upon 
So then, what is it about the new heavens and new earth? So well, we understand new heavens and new earth, death is gone, but what is it about what's in the new heavens and new earth that's truly satisfied the soul? Well, we know the answer to this. You know the answer to this. It's, it's God. God himself is there. It says that he will dwell with us, which comes to my next point, that God relates to his people. Right? God relates to his people. And we see here that the greatest treasure that any one of us, any person can ever have, can ever receive, is God himself. It's the only treasure that can truly satisfy our soul. God. Verse 3 says that God says, The dwelling place of God is with man. He shall dwell with them, and they shall be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. The word dwelling place here, it, it literally means tent or tabernacle. It, it symbolizes God's presence among his people, right? Israel was told to build a tabernacle when it was wandering through the wilderness. Why a tabernacle? It's so they can pack it up and bring it with them. Because it, so it represents God's presence going with them as they travel through the wilderness. And then in verse 5 and verse 6, God says this in Revelation. He says, in verse 5, he says, uh, First of all, that these words, these promises are trustworthy and true. They're, 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 they're going to be done. God will be with his people. He will dwell with his people. And then verse 6. Was it verse 6? Sorry. Give me a minute. Uh, sorry, verse 7. It says that the one who conquers will have this heritage. The one who conquers will have this heritage. And I will be his God. And he will be my son. You see, God here, he relates to us not just simply as God and we're like, we're his servants and slaves, but we are part of his family. Why? Because of Christ. Christ, the son of God. And so Christ is the son of God. But the blessings and the privileges Jesus Christ has, the son of God, he now gives to us. And so we share in the same privileges and blessings as God's sons and daughters. Because of Christ, He's the one whom all blessings flow. The, the main point of all this is that this is a covenantal language. And the, this covenantal language reveals that God's fulfillment, God will fulfill the purpose of His covenants. His, and there's, there's many covenants throughout Scripture. We, we read them all. I can't go through them all here during this time. But the main point of his covenant, the main purpose of the covenant, is so that he can redeem his relationship with his people. God wants to relate to his people. And that's why God has these covenants. Right? God promises to walk with his people. And this is not the first time God has promised that. Now, he gave that promise to Israel. He gives that promise to the church. And now he gives that promise and he sees this is the fulfillment of all of them. I mean, the gospel story itself, in one perspective, is a love story where God is pursuing His people constantly. And what He does is He makes the ultimate sacrifice, the sacrifice of His own Son, in order to save them, in order to save us from our sins. In the new heavens and new earth, our relationship with God reaches its full manifestation. And so, yes, we do indeed relate. We have a relationship with God today. 
we, because of what? The Holy Spirit dwells in us, right? That's what Scripture tells us. The Holy Spirit dwells in us. It's in us. It's with us. We are with God day by day. But in the new creation, there is this new, more distinctive way that we will be with God. We will be with God physically. And we will not just know God through His Word, but we will see God face to face. And that's amazing. First John chapter 3, verse 2 tells us that when Jesus appears we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is God will be before our eyes that's amazing but there is a warning here in Revelation chapter 21 in the last verse a warning against all those who sin against God and we see here that God rejects all sinners God rejects all sinners, right? The faithless, for murderers, for the sexually immoral, idolaters, liars, they will face the second death, which is the lake of fire. What we see here, what we see here is that those who are sinners, it says here their portion. Their portion, meaning the unbelievers receiving their share. This We see here that for believers and unbelievers, we both receive our share within God. And back in chapter 20, it says, Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. This is talking about believers. Those who share in the first resurrection, blessed and holy are they. They will receive, they will enter the new heaven and new earth. But here it says, Their portion for unbelievers will be in the lake that burns with fire. So this word share and the word portion are the same words here. They're the same words. And it's showing us, it's showing us that believers and unbelievers both will receive their share. One to eternal life and the other to eternal death. Everyone, in other words, everyone will get what they deserve. They will get what they deserve. I want you guys to think about this passage. I want to just kind of just Think about this passage and, and think about what John here, the Apostle John, who's the author of Revelation, what he's doing, what, why he's giving this vision, why he's writing this vision, giving it to your churches. Uh, earlier in Revelation, we saw the seven churches. This, this is the people that the Apostle John is writing directly to. And the seven churches, each of these churches, they're facing different issues. One church is facing persecution. And their people, because underneath the pressure of persecution, they're being tempted to compromise their faith. Another church, they're falling prey to idolatry and sexual morality. They're being tempted away. Another church, forgotten their first love, and they've grown dull in their listening, and they're following their obedience. Another church became consumed with material wealth and earthly things. I mean, with all these different issues, they, in a way, represent the struggles of our churches today. Struggles we face, right? We face struggles of sexual morality. We face struggles of persecution. We face struggles of materialism and consumerism. These things dull our faith. It makes us forget our first love. John is writing to these churches. And I want you guys to imagine this thing. Remember, the apostle John here, he's in this right now. He's writing this in exile. He's exiled on an island, the island of Patmos. And he's probably he's he's writing all this and the island is, the island is, is what surrounded by a sea 
There's a barrier between him and him being able to relate to the church. This, John is probably thinking, this is my last chance to encourage the churches I pastor, to make sure they continue to remain faithful to the end. And that's exactly what Paul's, that's exactly what John is doing here. He's encouraging them to overcome their temptations, to remain faithful, to endure, to keep their eyes upon their heavenly reward. How much more do we need to hear such words today for ourselves? Because we live in a world of instant gratification, right? That Chelsea just tries to draw us in and say, Here, this will give you joy. Take this, buy this, watch this. Listen to this. Listen to your own heart. And, and ask yourself, Do you long for a day where everything is made right? Where one day where you don't feel like you're being just bombarded with ads and all these different noises where you can find some true peace and rest where you're full and satisfied no longer thirsty or hungry for joy or happiness see nothing in this world seems to satisfy us it doesn't and, and and, and what happens when we, when we get all the stuff that's coming at us is that we're constantly, what, we do, what, do, what do we do when, we're, when we don't feel satisfied? We long for something new, right? We long for something new. It is why we keep refreshing our Facebook feeds or Instagram feeds and we're looking for new stuff even though we've been on it for like 30 seconds ago, right? We're, we're refreshing all the time, looking for something new, looking for new headlines to look at, looking for new updates. It's why when people who are people who date for selfish reasons, they're constantly jumping from one relationship to another, looking for something new. People who have money, they tend to always fight to earn more money. And it's why people lose themselves to video games and TV shows. Why? It's because they're trying to escape this reality and enter into a storyline where happy endings are possible. But what happens when that story ends? They look, they move on and search for another one. Again, a new story. See, our hearts are constantly craving for something new, something different. And it's not like these earthly joys, you know, all these things, they're not outright evil. But we do recognize they, they don't satisfy our souls, right? They don't. We can feed our souls constantly with all these things, but they always leave us feeling empty. We're always craving more. You see, the world is offering all these things. And they're offering, what they're doing is they're offering the same lie. But they just wrap it around some shiny package. They're, they're trying to advertise something new, something new, like new, you know, new iPhones, new software, new meditation practices, new gaming situations, and just all these different things. They're trying to explore something different, right? Even talking about new experiences, right? Uh, you want to hike a different trail, or you want to change uh, your your phone background, your your laptop background, different wallpaper, different picture. You're talking about maybe perhaps just even thinking something more practically. You're, you feel probably maybe you're stuck in your major. You want to try something new, a different major. Or if you're working, 
and you're like, man, I've been doing the same thing for so many years. You try something new, you, tr- you pursue a different career. You see, we're, we're constantly looking for something different, something new. But if you guys remember, if you remember what we learned in Ecclesiastes, that there is indeed nothing new under this sun. There's nothing new in this world. <coughs> you see, though these things that we pursue, they're not outright evil, they're not outright sin. When you choose anything above God, remember that you are indeed sin. That when you desire anything that this world offers you, you are in sin and you will fall into further sin. Why? Because when you consume all these things, you're trying to grasp onto all these things, what happens? What happens to our faith? It becomes dull. When you share your faith with someone, and that will perhaps cause you to lose respect, lose status, lose perhaps even your job, what happens to you? You become cowardly. You become faithless. When you when you seek for something and you're jealous of other people and what they have, that can oftentimes, taken to its extreme, lead to murder. It's why people are, when you desire relationships and your unhealthy way of looking for it, perhaps you struggle with pornography, what are you doing? You're wrestling then with sexual morality. You see all these different vices listed here of people who will enter into the lake of fire. All these different things we ourselves wrestle with and we constantly crave for something that this world offers and we place that above God and we make them idols. The answer here is not unless we're just casting these things away. The answer is truly seeing what God has promised you. That what He has promised you is something indeed new and distinct and wonderful and satisfying and all the more joyful God is promising you himself in the new heavens and new earth and it's truly something new it's gloriously new when you come before God and he's looking upon your life and he asks you what you know, what have you done? What have you done to come enter into this eternal rest with me? I mean, what are you going to answer to him? Well, what can you, what can you tell him? I remember John Piper in his famous sermon, that really, the one that made him blew him up into becoming famous, right? He would tell about the story of this retired couple who was walking on their, their, their retired couple, they retired early, they bought a house next to the beach, they're walking on the shore, and they're, they're like picking up seashells, right? They're collecting seashells, and then they, they die, they pass away happily, and they, they come before God, and they're like, look, God, look at all these seashells I collected. And it's like, what is all this? In the same way, what are we offering to God with our lives? Are you going up to God and just simply saying, look, I reached this level in this video game, or right? I caught all this Pokemon, right? What, what, what exactly are we bringing to the table before God? How are you going to answer? Imagine the answer of someone who has overcome and has entered into the new heaven and new earth, tired and rugged. Imagine the answer will go something like this. This person might be saying to God, I sacrificed 
a lot. I endured hardships. I read your word. I studied who you are, God. I worshipped you. I went to. I, I did all this. I acted for you. I, I tried to live my life like Christ. I prayed to you. I worshipped you. I sang to you. I communed with you. When people ask me why I'm doing all this, I, I share with them. I do it because of Christ. I'm sharing with people about Christ. I'm telling them, hey, join me. I invite them to join me on this journey. But it's been a hard and long, lonely journey. This road indeed was tough. But God, I did it all so I can be standing here with you. I stay pure. I stay pure so that I can be here to enjoy you forever. Do we truly live our lives in a way that says God is my joy and satisfaction forever? And yes, that doesn't mean you'll be fully satisfied here and now, but it means that's what we pursue because we know God's promises are sure. He says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, Blessed are the pure in hearts, for they shall so see God. This means that when we talk about stuff like spiritual disciplines for your life, Spiritual disciplines, good habits, devotions. It's not like you're trying to be some kind of monk and you're trying to practice self-denial and all that stuff. That's not what it's all about. Discipline. Spiritual discipline is saying, true spiritual discipline is saying, I desire the greatest joy. And it's not found in this life. It's found in eternity. And that's why I do. I do it to prepare my heart. To say I don't want to be distracted by anything else. That this is the one thing I want to continue to look at and desire. It's the one thing I long for and I don't give it my all. I'm going to pursue it. I'm going to run this race. And I'm going to trust that this will indeed be my greatest joy. God has offered to you a relationship in Christ that's all fulfilling all satisfying all joyful because it's a relationship where you feel secure in the hands of your father it's a relationship where you feel satisfied in knowing your savior it's a relationship where you feel blessed by the grace of God we are comforted by the Holy Spirit it's a relationship where you feel full by beholding the glory of God and it's a relationship that will be new forever it's imagine that. It'll be a relationship that's new forever. Every single day. I mean, well, there are no days in heaven and earth as we'll see next week. Because uh, there's there's no sun and stuff like that. But in any case. But like every single moment in heaven and earth. In the new heaven and earth. It'll be like something new. Because we have a relationship with God. And what that means is we have a relationship with someone who is infinite. Who is eternal. Someone who we can never fully comprehend because He is God and we are not. And so every moment will be new and all satisfying. Pursue that. And so then the big idea is that our great reward for faithfulness is not found in this current world but in new creation where we can freely enjoy God for all eternity without death without any tears, without any mourning, without any sin to get in our way, this is what we, this is why we run this race. This is why we continue to follow Christ. 
It's why we're willing to sacrifice it all for the sake of the glory of God. Because this is our greatest joy. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for your word that shows us not just who we are today, but who we will become. What you have promised for us in the future, in a new heaven and new earth, where we will indeed see you face to face. Lord, what a wonderful promise for us. We thank you, God, for giving us such grace, such a blessing, such an inheritance. And Lord, I pray that as we then come together here as a group, that we'll come together in a way that truly encourages us, encourages one another to continue to run this race. Because indeed it is a hard and oftentimes lonely road. I pray, Lord, that we remember why we're doing it. And we remember most of all, that, we are, that you have never left our side. That your spirit walks with us day by day. And Lord, that, that's amazing. Because your spirit given to us now is a reminder. It's a reminder of what we will experience fully in the new heavens and new earth. When we get to be with you, our greatest treasure, Christ, our all in all. And so Lord, continue to open our eyes to see this truth. Let us taste this truth, taste this glory, and let us never then to be satisfied for anything else in this world, but let us continue to thirst after you. Because you promised to all those who are thirsty that you will give us the waters of life. Lord, let us long for that day when we get to taste that water. Thank you, God, for bringing us all here together. I pray all this in your holy and precious name. Amen.